Hello, everybody. It's Dan Woods here at the Early Adopter Research Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Darren Oberst, Corporate VP and Head of Products and Platforms at HCL, a global systems integrator. HCL is pursuing a really interesting strategy that they call Mode 3. This strategy is taking the old model of global SIs and adding a variety of new elements related to both owning and developing products and also owning and developing IP in key technology areas. I wrote an article about their acquisition of Actian recently, and we scratched the surface of the Mode 3 strategy that they're pursuing. In this podcast, we're going to go through and talk about the details of the Mode 3 with Darren, and also try to see how that strategy differentiates HEL and is carving a new place for what used to be known as global systems integrators. So thank you, Darren, for joining me. Great. Thank you, Darren. Thank you. Now, for those who don't know, how would you describe HCL and its current place in the market for global system integration? Sure. No, no thanks for asking the question, and it's a good place to start. Um, you know, I think, you know, you've used the phrase, you know, global system integrator. I think we certainly acknowledge that, you know, most of the companies that we would be naturally compared to uh, would fall within that market segment. Um, but I think the way that we think about ourselves is a little bit different, um, and the way that we see the market evolving uh, and HCL's role in that market. Uh, so just to set some of the basics, um, you know, HCL, we're around an $8 billion a year company. Uh, we've been growing uh, consistently double digits uh, for many years now. Um, you know, we are typically compared, uh, you know, in terms of peer companies with a, a Wipro or an Infosys, a Cognizant, TCS, are the companies that we're often compared to. Um, but we think that there are a lot of differences, and, and a lot of it goes back to, you know, our heritage, uh, we're a, just over a 40-year-old company. And, um, you know, we started as a, a garage startup, you know, as a product business. And to a great degree, you know, that's been the kind of the heritage and, and part of our DNA and part of what we think, uh, you know, differentiates us. So, uh, you know, we were launched uh, in the 1970s, uh, coincidentally the same year that uh, Apple was being launched. And very much the same type of, uh, uh, kind, of kind of environment of you know, really looking to create and innovate you know, new hardware, new software, uh, you know, new technologies for this kind of nascent, emerging uh, kind of PC market. And I assume it was yeah. a bootstrap sort of uh, startup. It didn't take money for a long, long time. That, that's right. So we were you know, a, a bootstrap startup, you know, very much the same type of mythology that you know, a lot of other Silicon Valley type companies uh, you know, had at that time. But for decades, you were like that. And, and for decades. And so, uh, you know, for the first, you know, 15 plus years of our history, uh, we were focused on the Indian market uh, with really the, the aspiration to be the Apple, Microsoft, IBM of the India domestic market. Um, you know, then as that market began to liberalize and open up, companies like IBM and HP came into that market. Uh, we made a pivot and a transition through the course of the 1990s into being a services company, um, but with a very, very different starting point. And that, that's, that's how most of the people in the IT world know you, is when you arrived as another global systems integrator that was smaller and had a different perspective. Yeah. So how would you describe you know, your entry into the global systems integration market and, and what yeah. differentiated you from then? And then we'll get to the mode three sure. strategy, yeah, which differentiates you now. Of course. Um, you know, I, think, I think what differentiated us is that we came from that different starting point, which was we were a product company and then looking at how do we leverage these capabilities and maximize the opportunities for us with those capabilities. 
And so, you know, we formed a, a joint venture with Pro Systems, joint venture with HP, very deep, close relationships, um, you know, with Cisco, other large global R&D companies. And that's where we got started. You know, it wasn't about traditional system integration work, implement SAP, do Y2K. That really wasn't the sweet spot for us. It was, we've got some great engineers who are experienced at, you know, building products and technologies. Let's offer that now as a service to all of these global, you know, R&D companies who are looking to expand into India. So one of the companies um, that was similar to that for the startup realm was Pivotal before it kind of was reshaped in many different iterations. Mm -hmm. But they would offer themselves to a startup and say, look, we will be your engineering team. Mm -hmm. Are you saying that your first model was that you were an engineering enhancement to the internal teams of these larger technology companies? Yeah, I, th I think that's exactly right. And, um, you know, one of the powerful things about that business model is that it oftentimes could start very small. It could start with, you know, being an adjunct, being staff augmentation. It could come around testing of the products. It could come around, um, you know, an older part, you know, of that portfolio or a component of that. But it oftentimes grows because fundamentally it's an IP-based relationship that you're building with, with those uh, clients in that you become an integral part of their ongoing development and research and innovation strategy. And so many of those relationships that we formed in the 90s uh, still exist today. And oftentimes they started from kind of the very humble kind of places that you, know, you described that now number you know, thousands of people, um, you know, dozens of products within those businesses, and oftentimes many innovation areas where HCL engineers on behalf of our client are doing innovation, modernization, you know, driving you know, new and incremental uh, products to the market. Well, one of the issues that I want to put in the parking lot that we'll bring up later is how do you play your role as a trusted advisor, you know, uh, someone who helps a, an executive lead a transformation, when at the same time you're an advocate for certain classes of IP or products that you have uh, you know, in your uh, arsenal already and that are eager to promote? So, but before we go there, why don't you explain your role at HCL right now? Sure. So, uh, so I joined HCL around five years ago. Uh, I joined initially to run corporate development. And um, around three years ago, I moved into my current role, which is to run on a global basis our products and platforms business. Got it. And what does that mean at HCL? What do products and platforms mean at, uh, at the modern-day HCL? Yeah, so, so putting it simply, it's, it's sort of the, uh, the core foundation of our Mode 3 strategy, um, which has been built around um, what we believe is a very novel and innovative approach to building capability which is a series of IP partnerships uh, that we've done, um, primarily with IBM, um, and then culminating with you know, the transaction that we announced you know, almost two weeks ago now, um, you have a very significant divestiture of those products from IBM. Okay, so now let's, let's do a little bit of a timeline for people who aren't as big IT nerds as we are. Sure. So uh, last year you bought uh, or I guess it's still this year. In 2018, you bought uh, a company called Actian, which was in the operational data warehouse space. I've been following them for many years. Mm -hmm. They are a conglomeration of some excellent technology. Uh, underneath them, they have Pervasive, but then underneath that is like a, an excellent uh, uh, integration technology called uh, Data Junction, I think. I mean, it was way back mm -hmm. in there. And then, yeah. then they, they, while the, during the Pervasive days, they created a really nice technology called Dataflow, mm -hmm which was um, uh, uh, 
able to take advantage uh, very efficiently of parallel processing uh, and you know adapt. It was a sort of like a, a, a parallel program generator that would then be optimized for whatever hardware you had around. And um, it was another player in the big data sort of realm. And then you know, and then they had, of course, these you know vector-wise and these super high-performance databases. Now, you bought them, and then you decided that you were going to run them as independent companies. Now, there's a whole portfolio of technology you bought from IBM, and I assume you're going to take the same approach with those companies. Those are going to continue to run as independent technology businesses seeking to sell themselves in the market, you know, on the high seas of IT. So. That's now where we get to the, I think, the puzzle of the mode three strategy. And that is, if you're going to buy products, um, why bother buying them? Why not just use them? Because you've been able to use that IP in consulting engagements for a long time. And then once you buy them and, and are beneficiaries of their financial performance, now all of a sudden your clients have the, you know, cer- certainly the, the legitimate right to ask the question, wait a sec, you're asking me to buy the stuff that you're a proponent of that you own. Is that really the right choice for me or is it the right choice for you? And so what I'm really interested to find out is, you know, the, the mode three strategy has three prongs. It has global system, it has services, it has intellectual property that you develop, and it has product companies that you buy. How does all that combine to benefit the customer? And, and, and how do you resolve the tensions that we just mentioned. Okay, no, a great set of questions and, and probably a lot to unpack in that. Um, and, and let me make one, one maybe, maybe a preface, uh, and because I think it comes back to, um, you know, one of the things you've asked of, you know, how, how do all of these different pieces fit together? How do they not fit together? And what's the logic to the extent that they aren't, they aren't fully integrated? Um, you know, every company has a DNA. Um, before HCL, I spent 10 years at IBM. Part of IBM's DNA, part of the brilliance of an IBM, is everything comes top down. It works as a beautiful integrated you know, whole. Things come from the top and everything propagates downward. Um, the brilliance of HCL, the DNA of HCL, is actually fundamentally different. And that is, you know, we are an entrepreneurial company at our core. And from the very beginning, I think you know, the, the story we, we started you know, this discussion with of kind of the garage startup you know, and, and, and how you grow from there, that's been the seed of how HCL has grown and evolved over the course of the last 40 years. Um, one of the things we're proud of is, you know, we've generated, you know, dozens if not hundreds of HCL leaders who leave the company and go off to start other businesses or become CEOs. That's part of the DNA of the company. Uh, we haven't talked about some of the other lines of business within HCL, but they have similar types of histories. Um, so we are an entrepreneurial company. We are a bottoms-up company. I think we celebrate and encourage that. And so, you know, as we think about how do we move into some new market segments, and I'll come back and talk about why fundamentally we want to do that. Our approach to it is let's not drive a single top-down strategy, but a big part of the way that you know we hope to move into a new market is to is to diffuse some of that risk, which is let's have a few different experiments, things that we're doing in different areas, um, where we have, we have clarity on an overall strategic rationale, we have clarity on the broader direction that we want to go, but then have a few different operational models in place and a few different ways that we're pursuing it. Um, because again, it's the way we've built our company, that's ultimately where we've had success. 
So Again, I think it's a different, a different view, perhaps, of how you build a well, new initiative. So I guess the way I would rephrase that, and, and this came out in the article we wrote about Actian, and that is that KK, your CTO, um, said that one of the reasons you buy and operate the companies as independent units is so that you can learn from their genuine sales interaction with the market. And so when they go out and try to sell a product as an independent entity, they are getting tremendous amounts of hardcore information from the coalface about what do the buyers want. And so that seemed to me credible. You know, that yes, it is, um, it does make sense to have a company be independent because you can learn more from it. Now what you've said is that if we have a portfolio of companies, now we can, we, we're not claiming that they're, they're integrated and that they represent some uh, platform already by themselves. We may assemble them in a services engagement, parts of them to be a platform for a particular client, but the portfolio by itself is not a platform. It's a bunch of companies that you think are promising that, that are important. So the first question is, why didn't you buy them? Well, so we could learn and have intimacy and learn what, what's going on. That's one reason to buy rather than to partner. Okay, I get that. And so now um, the next question is, you've got these companies. You're, you're, they're generating ideas. You're learning from them. You're at the, 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 the portfolio you know, uh, uh, company. You're now talking to one of your clients who is a large financial institution, a large pharmaceutical company, a large manufacturer. Now, you walk in the door and they say, yeah, I want to talk to that Darren guy. He knows all this stuff going on at HCL. Um, but Darren, you know, how is this portfolio, how am I going to learn from this portfolio? Why, why, and how are you going to, how am I going to know that you're going to select the best technology for me not the one, not the one that just happens to be in your portfolio. Mm -hmm. I'm a little nervous about that. Sure, sure. Um, so let me let me come to that. Um, and 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 maybe maybe actually there, there's one more maybe preface step that I, that I think we should add is you know, when we formulated this strategy, I think it was with a lot of recognition that most of the time, whether it's a services company, whether it's a software company, whether it's a retailer. In almost any industry, when a company tries to move from the, the market segment that it's in, where its core competencies have been, its heritage has been, its processes, its expertise, its brand permission have been, when you try to move into an adjacent market, it usually fails. And you know, we spend a lot of time really thinking through, why is that the case? You know, what are all the things that can go wrong? What are the things we can learn from the missteps of so many other services companies that have tried to move into the software space, you know, broadly defined. And, and there are a few common pitfalls that we found. Um, one of them, which I think, I think you just mentioned, is this attempt to maybe pretend that you can just, because it's all in one company and you put it all on one chart, and it all looks like one holistic picture, that that's what a customer wants. And generally speaking, that's not true. Um, you know, customers want um, best of breed, they want solutions you know, to their problems. They generally don't necessarily want to just have you know, a single vendor that they buy everything with. And so you have to have some flexibility in your business model and some recognition of that. Um, and well, the way I think about that is that what people really want is a platform. They want a platform so that their company feels like you know, the leaders where it's a very integrated 
platform experience and, and all of that integration works to, to create leverage and multiple forms of leverage. But it has to be a platform that's usually based on products because they don't, unlike most companies, most companies are not going to be like Google and do a beyond core, you know, sort of do their own cybersecurity solution. They're going to buy a cybersecurity solution. Most companies are going to use a CRM, an ERP. And, but then making those all work together in a way that's really you know, creates harmony and power, mm -hmm. that's what I call a product-based platform. Sure. So I agree that, 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 that your, your, your clients don't, if you, and, and the thing is, companies are so different, you can't really buy a product-based platform for your business. You have to assemble it. And that's really what I believe companies, mm -hmm. you know, the buyers are coming to you for, is to help them create that product-based platform. Mm -hmm. so, um, so, okay, so now I'm the, the, the customer and I say, Darren, that's great. I understand that you know, you uh, you you are, you know, not pretending that your portfolio is this integrated thing, and I'm going to buy the whole thing. Okay, so then what? Are, how are you going to help me? Yeah. Well, look again. I I think again coming back to HCL's DNA, what we do really well um, is you know we stay focused on our customers, we stay focused on what they need, and we stay focused on how we can best serve those needs. And so I don't think there's going to be a one-size-fits-all. I don't think there's going to be the, this is the HCL message that every customer we go to, you know, here's the, the big stack and buy this whole stack from us. I think it'll be mix and match. I think that there will be some services customers, and I'll explain it in some more detail, who will naturally see synergy in bringing in some of these products, both from a business model, a simplicity, and delivering a more comprehensive solution. And then the converse, I think, will also be true. Many of these uh, software customers, and again, I'll, I'll give a few uh, references to that, they're actually looking for more of a services and a success orientation. I bought this product, help me get maximum value out of it, help make this work, solve my problem with, with using this product. And then, and then there'll be other times where the two don't converge at all, and, and our services teams will continue to operate in, in a ground-up entrepreneurial way aligned to what the needs of their customers are. And sometimes that will mean they'll be recommending, you know, a competing product. And conversely, you know, for some of these products, these products will be used by, you know, other people in the market, other system integrators will have a whole complex ecosystem that we'll have to manage with that. You know, I think, again, the reason I, I spent a little time walking through some of the history of HCL, some of the DNA of the company, is I think that's one of our core competencies. And I think it's one of the things that's important to understand in really thinking through this strategy. Because a lot of the dimensions of this strategy and the elements that you've laid out, they're a little contrarian, they're a little different. There aren't many companies that would go about it in, in the way that we Well, have. you're willing to take the risk of having the perception that you're pushing your own products. So the implication of what you just said is that if I'm in the global systems integration services business, I'm, I would suspect that I'm not gonna get comped for sales of your own uh, you know, product port product companies. Like, I wouldn't get rewarded for selling a financial institution, Actian. Actian may get rewarded, but me, what I'll get rewarded for as a, as a services person is make, getting more services business from that, uh, that client and making them happier. I mean, is your compensation structured around avoiding these conflicts? So, so, so in short, yes. In short, yes. Um, you know, there isn't going to be an artificial push where someone again walks in from HCL into their customer and says, look, this is the HCL solution, this is what you have to buy. It just isn't how we work, just not part of our DNA as a company. I think the way that we're thinking about it 
And again, I don't think I don't think one size fits all for every customer or for every every product that's in our portfolio. It's finding those synergies at, at a detailed level where it truly creates incremental value to the customer. And, and I'll give just a couple of, of just maybe kind of snippets, kind of quick examples of that. Um, you know, one of the products that was in the um, you know, the, the, the divestiture scope you know, that we announced last week is not closed yet, but, but the transaction we announced. Um, one of them is a product called Big Fix. And Big Fix is actually a foundational technology that's used in infrastructure outsourcing. Now, we're not trying to go and dictate you know, technology choices to customers. But what we want to explore and what we want to build with time you know, over our, with, with our customers is really migrating from you know, a service offering that and maybe 10 years ago was all about people and process to one that probably 10 years from now is really a fusion of some people, some consulting expertise, variety of cloud technologies, autonomics and AI technologies, and fundamental platforms like Big Fix. And so, you know, while again, there, there may be many customers that say, I don't want to use Big Fix, I want to use another tool, that's fine. But where we want to go over time is how do we start creating superior value sort of future-proofing the kinds of solutions that we want to be able to bring to our customers. And so, could you give me a summary of, you know, for Actian, I, 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 in the previous story, yeah. it's obvious that data and the way I think of it is that the data supply chain is going to be crucial in almost every dimension of creating a new company. You're going to need it to make AI and machine learning better. You're going to need it to make your applications better. You're going to need it to be able to harvest what you're learning from your applications. It's no longer a one-way trip to a data warehouse and then a trip out to the analysts. It's this massive, complicated, multi-node, multi-repository, uh, lots of you know, data logistics sort of world. And you know, the better you are at that, the better everything else is going to be. So. What is the nature of the companies that you bought from IBM, and how do they play into this modern world? Yeah. So, you know, the way I would think about it is, you know, and you've used the phrase, so I'll, I'll use it for a minute, kind of a global system integrator. Part of what that suggests is, you know, we're very broad-based. Um, you know, we work across multiple vertical industries. We work across almost every part of the IT solution stack. So I know this is a discussion primarily focused on mode three, but you know, that's what our mode one and our mode two businesses are, you know, a variety of different service lines. Our infrastructure outsourcing is one of those, our outsourced product development is one of those, but we also have in data and analytics, um, in security, um, in digital marketing and commerce, um, in IoT, and a whole set of futuristic and emerging uh, categories. So everything that we try to do in our product strategy maps against that. And again, I think when you look at it at a point in time, you might say, well, you're casting a pretty wide net in terms of products. You know, what ultimately ties together you know, Actian with product ABC you know, that you just announced last week? And the answer is, you know, the unifying principle is, does this map to where we have service offerings and where we're trying to bring solutions to customers? If it, if it maps to our services business, then it's an area that we want to look at from a product point of view. Okay, so what were the kind of companies that you bought from IBM? Sure. Um, so what we announced um, last week um, is a transaction in which IBM will be divesting of seven products. Five of these products we already had uh, an IP partnership in place with. And when you say an IP partnership, you mean you were helping build the products or you, you, were, you had licensed the products? Yeah, that's correct. It's actually both. Okay. Um, so the way that these IP uh, partnership transactions work 
is um, they, have, they have really three components to it. Uh, the first component was a, a licensing transaction in which we actually licensed the source code of the product. Um, the second component then looked a little bit like an outsourcing deal in which there was a, a carve-out and a rebadging of, of a lot of the key people associated with the product into HCL. And then the third part of it is we would go off and develop all the future versions of that product, ship it back to IBM, and we had a revenue share. And then we also had the rights to take those products, brand them, and sell them through our own channel. When we did that, we had a revenue share back to IBM. So uh, we had entered into a series of these IP partnerships. Um, actually, we entered into 14 of them over the course of the last two and a half years. Um, for with, five, with everybody, but not just with IBM? That's just with IBM. Okay. Um, there were several others beyond that. Okay. Just with IBM, we entered into 14. Um, for five of those IP partnerships, um, including, and then including two additional products, IBM is now completely exiting those products. And that's what we announced uh, you know, 10 days ago. Now, of those seven products, um, they fall into three major market segments. And there are actually different hypotheses that we have around each of those three. Uh, first segment is security. Two of the products, Big Fix and AppScan, I can, I can walk into more detail about what they do. Um, play in the IT security space, um, fast-growing markets, they're fast-growing products. Uh, both of them are kind of Gardner Magic Quadrant kinds of products, you know, market leaders in their respective categories. Um, we look at those products as products that are, you know, clicking on all cylinder, um, offer a lot of potential growth just in their core businesses, lots of room for us to continue to innovate at a product level, but then great synergies when we look at some of our core service offerings both on the infrastructure outsourcing side as well as on the security side. Got it. So that's the first category. That's sort of the first hypothesis. Uh, the second hypothesis, the second category, are three products um, that are in the digital marketing and commerce area. Um, one of them is uh, what, what the sort of erstwhile uh, web sphere commerce, uh, an, an incredible mm -hmm. product. I mean, one of the products that was really the uh, first enterprise grade e-commerce platform. It would compete with an SAP Hybris, some of the other e-commerce platforms. You know, 500 plus customers, a market leader in production, you know, large B2C retailers you know, all over the world. Um, second product is a product that was an IP, existing IP partnership, a product called Unica. Uh, campaign automation, customer segmentation. It's more like an Eloqua, Marketo exactly, type thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then the third is, uh, is WebSphere Portal and Content Manager. Again, used for a lot of really high-end kind of B2B, B2E types of websites. Um, so three products, um, I would say all three of them, our hypothesis, is each of them brings between 500 and 1,000 you know, enterprise class customers, the who's who, um, typically in B2C, retail banking, retail insurance, those are the companies that use these products. I um, see, and so, and this is what the, the, the gentleman at uh, uh, Actian said, is that after the HCL acquisition, even though they weren't being pushed, all of a sudden they were able to talk to a huge amount of new people that they had never been able to talk to so quickly before. So part of this product strategy is that you have existing customer relationships and now you have much re reason to talk to them and understand who what they are and then see if there's an opportunity. So there's a, 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 there's a, there's a relationship mining uh, aspect to this. Absolutely. And what I would say, and I think it's important because you, you brought it back to me a few times, this is a different model. So um, the products that we've bought, you know, upon closing, 
the products, the people, the sales, the customer contracts, end-to-end, 100% will become part of HCL, in a period full stop. So it is a different model. Than I see. So, this, so, so, so these, these companies will be, it will be HCL big fix. It will not be. Oh, absolutely. It will not be big fix by HCL. No, this is, <laughs> this is 100% HCL. Got it. I mean, as I mentioned, it, look, I think okay. It's, so, so now, so now we're getting okay. to to the to the to the to kind of I think where we can crystallize things. Sure. On purpose, I haven't asked you to define the mode three strategy sure. because I want to do that at the end after sure. we have all the chess pieces yeah, sure. on the table. Sure. Sure. So there's one big chess, uh, one big area of the chessboard we haven't talked about, sure. and I probably don't have a mastery of this because it wasn't really discussed as in detail. But let me try out what I think it's about, and then you can fix it. And that is the IP aspect of your strategy. So I, I'm, I'm starting to get what you're talking about in terms of you know, creating a portfolio but not having it be a portfolio. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to understand how you were going to use these companies to, to, to uh, accelerate your, your ability to solve problems and why your customers might accept that because of the way that you're going to present the opportunity to them. Now, in addition, though, you're also developing in kind of greenfield ways, mm-hmm. new intellectual property mm-hmm. that is in sort of like the, it's in, and I wouldn't say it's a startup because it's pre-startup. It's more like mm-hmm. R&D, you know, kind of like government or scientific research. Mm-hmm. And so what I haven't yet understood is I can understand how the, all of the learning that ha- takes place might then be funneled into picking areas to develop IP because you see mm-hmm. where the new problems are emerging. But what I haven't yet understood is how does that IP end up ever being monetized? How does it show up? Is it being put back into the products or does it create new startup-y type companies that you get funding for from external sources or fund yourself? What is the IP you know, strategy here? Sure. Well, look, I, I think like, um, you know, and, and the first part of this I don't think is terribly original. I think all services businesses, all businesses that, you know, fundamentally come down to people, um, I think at some point, you know, in their evolution, look to become more IP-based, you know, and, and, and that IP can take a variety of different forms. Right, but, but I mean, we, as a sophisticated observer of the global SI market, there's the BS IP and then there's the real IP. Absolutely. So the BS IP is when the salesman comes in and says, oh, we have many assets in retail or manufacturing yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And then it turns out that their assets are a bunch of newly minted you know, graduates from MIT or IIT or, or someplace. And it's yeah. like, where's the assets? Well, the assets are the people. They'll figure it out as the yeah. engagement goes. But I thought we had a starting point. Well, actually, we don't really have much of a starting point. We don't really have many assets that can be really repurposed. Mm-hmm. So that's the BS sort of yeah. IP in the yeah. global SI market. Yeah, fair enough. I, I, I haven't yet found uh, companies at scale that have it. You know, th- there are a bunch of boutiques that come with models and UI and, and, and all sorts of things, you know, ready-baked. And then some of the companies like, you know, Looker or, 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 or Tableau or, or, or those companies, they come with, you know, add-ons, you know, or Salesforce's App Exchange, you know, where you could talk about that being a form of reusable IP. But how is your stuff going to be the real IP, not the BS IP? So fair enough. And look, and and again, it goes back to, you know, we looked at all the, uh, you know, sort of the ghosts of, you know, services companies moving into software failed, you know, in the past. And one of them, and just just to pick up the phrase you used, you know, the uh, sort of the BS you know, IP, you know, the IP that looks good on a chart or maybe it's good for a demo to help you sell. Um, 
look, services companies that think that they can build a world-class software business on the back of that are, are kidding themselves. And services company after services company has failed when, when, when that's all that they rely upon. Well, you know, one pattern, one anti-pattern I've seen here, and uh, it's with companies, and I'm not going to say the name, but, but a company that, that, that I know has a really great mm -hmm. data science platform. Mm -hmm. And it's really excellent at integrating the data, at creating semantic models, at finding signals, and then putting those signals in. But they have, they have always wanted to, but never been able to make it into a platform that can then be installed and used like a product. Sure. Because I think that they underestimate the trip from having it figured out as a set of reusable libraries and a, and a sort of a style of creating applications and actually creating a product. Sure which is like massive different, different thing. So look, they're, they're fundamentally different business models. And you know, I think you know, one of the big learnings for us and the way that we've gone about this over the last couple of years is to understand what, what you just said, which is the difference between few people hacking together a, a piece of code and actually building a commercial grade enterprise class software product. And, and there's a whole set of things that go into it. You know, some is the way that the product, you know, is developed, um, you know, and, and tested and secure and the functionality of it and the configuration of it. So it's the richness of the functionality. There's a lot in terms of the packaging of that product. And that's everything from, you know, the, the commercial licensing arrangement around it to how you embed and build that into the product. Pricing constructs that you build, life cycle commitments that you make to customers, support commitments that you make to customers. Um, you know, a long-term roadmap and set of investments, um, support, you know, for built-in customizations, integrations, plugins to a variety of other systems, how you build and design for scalability, for performance, for the real world of a, of a large CIO shop where they have all kinds of exotic platforms running and legacy platforms, how you work in those environments. And so, you know, I think the view I'm trying to give, right, is that when we kicked this off three years ago, I think we tried to do it with our eyes wide open that there were a lot of pitfalls. And most of the time when a services company tried to make this leap, they failed. And so, you know, we have purposefully gone after this, you know, in, in a multi-pronged way with a few different models. So, you know, you've mentioned Actian. I think you've mentioned some of the organic IP, you know, that, that we've been developing. Uh, we've talked about some of the IP partnerships. And now we're coming to a divestiture that's integrated into HCL. And I think some of the question you're trying to ask is, well, how does it all fit together? Well, and you know, before we talk about how it's all fit together, talk to me about going from the Greenfield IP to some value for you yeah. or your customer. I, I still don't, I don't see which, you know, the chessboard moves that get me there yet, or at least, you know, what the plan is. Yeah, sure. So, again, and I, I've tried to sort of paint a picture of, of HCL. So give me, a, like, for example, what's a Greenfield, I mean, I assume they're not all secret. You know, sure. what, 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 what piece of IP are you developing at Greenfield, you know, or are you developing, or are they all secret? I mean, do you not talk about them? Um, no, I mean, maybe, maybe explain what, what, you're, what you're asking. Yes. You have an R&D group that's creating new IP, as the way I understand it. We have, we have multiple right, R&D right. teams doing that. So, yeah. yeah, and so that, they're, they're create, they're, they're as if they're an early-stage startup. They're creating new IP, new, new software, new algorithms, sure. new data science techniques, sure. new engineering, perhaps even hardware, sure. to solve problems. Sure. And then somehow that's going to be either a benefit to the customer, to the services business, to the existing Actian-style products, sure. or to the 
sure. portfolio products. Sure. So I still don't understand that. Okay. How? Sure. Um, so again, I think I think what you're referring to is is one team we have in, within our CTO's office, um, and that's a team that you know really emerged out of our uh, outsourcing business on how do we build you know IP-based solutions and innovation you know, that we can bring to our outsourcing customers. And that team has, you know, incredibly deep domain expertise in many dimensions of how, you know, a data center is run and managed, um, you know, the autonomics, the changing, you know, technology landscape. And they've been building a set of IP, you know, that actually is in production and delivering a lot of value and working. And so, you know, one of the areas and one of the paths we've been pursuing is how do we take and how do we start to harvest some of that learning? And I, I wouldn't call this quote, BS IP, right, right, right. but it was, the, it was the starting point of, 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 of some products. How do we begin to take some of those starting points with real learnings in production with large customers? How do we start to take that and little by little kind of move it down a path of becoming you know, a, a fully fledged product? And so as I mentioned, you know, with, with the IP partnerships that we've done, one of the things that it's brought to us is a lot of the learning it's, at one point, it was 50 distinct, 50 distinct process work streams that we had just to get to the release of a product. All of that is organizational learning, its capability, its systems, its processes that have to be built and put in place. So we've created a lot of that foundation. Got it. Now, with, with the divestiture that we've just you know, announced, IBM's divestiture of these seven products, We'll be taking over the, the customer contracts and the end customer relationships for over 10,000 customers around the world. We'll have hundreds of additional sales teams coming in. So you can start to see the contours of the end-to-end -end right. value chain coming into place. And for those, I, those, I, those IPs that, again, are the seeds, the starting points, we want to little by little start applying those learning lessons to move them down that end-to-end -end life cycle of becoming products and then bringing them you know, to the customer base that we've just acquired. Got it. So the idea is that that IP will show up either in the internal, most likely it'll show up in the internal HCL product portfolio. And, and, and it po it's possible that you could, Actin would want to license it at some point or, or, or any company that you buy under that model would let. Absolutely. Look, I think there are, there are two or three different ways that that, that IP, uh, maybe just to pick one word, you know, neutral word, that, that it can be exploited. One very natural way, and the way it, it was derived, was as part of our existing outsourcing operations to bring value to customers, right. pure and simple. And so um, this I, I, IP isn't being created in a lab, it's being created in customer engagements. A combination of the two. So it's, you know, I think, you know, one of the beauties of outsourcing is you build these very, very deep, you know, very sticky production-grade relationships with customers. You know everything about their operation. And so, you know, the teams we have working on that are really looking at what are some of the common patterns that we see and what are some of the opportunities to generate you know, autonomics and you know, other process improvements you know, using it. Um, so it's, it, it's a mix, but it tends to be more closely aligned to that, what, what are the needs of our existing customers? Now, again, the opportunity is how do we start to perhaps harvest and leverage that in, in a bunch of different directions? Whether that's IP we bring and sell directly to customers as a product or as a service offering, or over time, does it migrate in and become integrated, you know, with, with other components and other products that we're, that we're building? Okay, so now I think we've examined the entire chessboard, and we've looked at all the different elements. So let's take a step back and, and take, like, a big history perspective, uh, uh, and, and let's look at 
what, how is the best way we can explain what the mode three strategy is now that we have all of this stuff in mind? Sure. What, what, what would you say if, if in that sales meeting with that client, he asked you, Darren, so explain to me what this mode three strategy is and, 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 and you know, why you're doing it. Yeah. Okay. Well, look, again, I would come back to some of the things that we've talked about because I think they're the important themes that, that bring it into the right context, into the right meaning for a customer. Well, and also, I want to be very literal here. You said, you said, you said some stuff that hadn't come up in my previous discussions sure. about mode one, mode two, and then mode three. Sure. So, you know, what are mode one, mode two, and then what yeah, is sure. mode three? Okay, good, good. Okay. So we'll, we'll go through it uh, sequentially. Um, so mode one is, it, it's our bread and butter. It's our core, you know, services businesses. Um, you know, it really comprises four major service lines. It's our infrastructure outsourcing business. It's our outsourced uh, product development and R&D called ERS. Um, it's our, what we call our apps, and think of it as sort of a, a, an SI business. And then it includes our BSERV business, which is our, our BPO uh, business. So, and this, in this, in mode one, is essentially looks very much like the sort of global system integrator model. It does that, and, and again, I, I it, it, you always hesitate to put labels around things, but that would be kind of the traditional sweet spot of what you would think any uh, GSI, right, right, to use that phrase, would, would be providing to their customers, right? Um, now, within that. There's all sorts of innovation. There's all sorts of things that are happening um, that we're that we're doing to bring new value to customers. But that's what we we define as our mode one. Um, mode two are all of the kind of new high growth service lines um, that typically have some different characteristics in the way they need to be managed, uh, different talent, you know, different focus, um, and that includes um, you know our digital business, you know, a lot of digital marketing. Um, it includes analytics, um, IoT, security. Did I leave any, any of them? Out? And and our cloud services business. So, it's all of those called the next gen uh, service lines. Also, of which I think you would find you know pr- pretty good analogs. You know, in, in most of the companies that would be considered pure companies to HCL. Right, and so and so this is the emerging tech sort of uh, emerging area. technology, uh, emerging practice areas. areas. Yeah, okay, That's right. got it. Now, mode three, kind of to use that old like Monty Python line, is and now for something completely different. Right, right? exactly. Um, and, and it's where I think we want to uh, sort of draw a very different stake in the ground. Um, I, I don't think any of our competitors, um, traditional competitors, are trying to reconceptualize our business in the same way. And so at, at, at a first pass, before we go into the details of it, mode three are our, our portfolio of you know IP and software based businesses and that will have multiple flavors to it um, it will be bottoms up and come from a very HCL entrepreneurial uh, uh, kind of innovative uh, approach meaning we're not going to come forward and say here's the master chart of these are all of HCL's products you need all of it buy it um, we're not going to have that that just isn't again our DNA it isn't the way that we've been successful in the market um, but what Mode 3 encompasses are a few distinct strategies that have been our initial forays into building a software business. And I think as we're in the middle of that, I think some of the contours of it um, can be a little confusing. You know, are you trying to be here or are you trying to be there? I think the big marker that I would try to set is, is actually the sweep of our ambition and aspiration in this. 
most services companies, it's talk. It is. So I've worked in services for a long time. Services people, we come in, we talk about all of our IP and all of our assets. I think you characterized a certain way. But there's, there, there's certainly a measure of truth to that in the way most services companies approach software. I think what we're trying to do, and, and the fact that we are pursuing this in a multi-pronged way, with different operating models, different approaches, different segments, I, I think is a marker about we tr truly want to build a long-term, fundamental, sustainable you know, software business as part of our portfolio. And I think it actually comes back to the very first part of this discussion, which is at our core, we don't see ourselves as a GSI. At our core, we see ourselves as a technology company. Right. So I guess the way I would reinterpret this is what mode three is really about is an understanding that if you actually can do what you say as a global systems integrator, um, then why aren't you building great solutions that we can use as well? And uh, why are, I mean, if you're so smart to know what the best product is, why haven't you come up with and delivered really good products? Another way of saying it is, we're not satisfied to let all the services we use be created by Amazon, Google Cloud Platform, Microsoft Azure. We want to be in the business of creating great services that, that are and, and delivering them for people as products because we believe the productization is where a huge amount of value is created and captured. And it's where you have intimacy with really what people need because either the product fits or it doesn't. And that's when you really find out whether you understand the market. So it's, it's sort of like I do content marketing as well. And I've realized that I'm much more powerful with my clients when I show them that I'm actually doing what I'm going to do for them on my own behalf. Yeah. I mean, if you're, I mean, there's a bluegrass song that says, if you're so smart, how come you ain't rich? Yeah. And so what you want to be able to do is say, look, we are rich. We've been able to solve the hardest problem of products, and we're bringing all of that uh, to you. Now, whether you want to use them or not, that's up to you. And, you know, you have to, to see whether or not, you know, we're telling a better story than the other people that you're talking to. But you're confident that this large one, two, three strategy creates institutionally the ability to, sell, to, to tell a much more sophisticated story and then deliver on it. And, and because, especially because a lot of this BPO, you know, services business is becoming like supporting a, a, a public cloud. And so you're, you're, it seems to me that, that in, the, in the end, what you'll end up with is being able to have another HCL sort of cloud uh, to some extent, um, uh, you know, with you know, filling some niche. So, so I, might, I, might, I might pick up, I might say it a little differently, but I, I, I think conceptually it's not that different from, from what you said, is um, you know, what we're really good at and when we're successful is when we're laser focused on our customers. That's our strength. I mean, we're in some ways a simple organization. You know, we, we have good bottoms up you know, innovation, we've got a lot of talent, we focus on technology and, and we listen to our customers and we do whatever we can to support those customers, where they are today and where they're going in the future. And what we see from our customers, again, I don't think it's a unique insight, is that a lot of the traditional business models, they really are blurring. 
And, and you know, we shouldn't try to force it artificially. We shouldn't try to promote technology at the expense of what our customer is trying to do. But the fact is, a lot of these lines are blurring, you know, between cloud, between software and automation, uh, between people, business process. And I think we want to position ourselves, you know, for the future, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, that we can deliver the most value to our customers and we can solve their problem. And whether that problem takes the form of software, SaaS, or cloud, or people, or any combination thereof, we, we want to be, again, the best, highest value solution provider to them. So I have two uh, kind of mopping up questions. One is, it seems clear that this is a lot different than the models we've seen of rolling up companies and, and uh, mining their cash flows, like we've seen yeah. from Computer Associates, yeah. or in some ways you can think of Oracle uh, you know, doing that uh, uh, to some extent. Um, and so this is not about, you know, a, a this is not a financial play, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this strategy. Would, would you say that that's correct? Uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Now, then the third, the second thing is, uh, can you give me an example of the most mode three sort of engagement that you've had with a customer where they have understood, wait, I want to go beyond a even a mode one or mode two services-based or emerging tech-based relationship, and I see how a two or three of the products that you are, are, are offering uh, you know, might be helpful. Because it, it seems to me that there's no reason, you, you, you could be acting in mode three ways even before you bought the companies. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, you had everything in place to be a mode three sort of company with all these IP partnerships and all the, you know, the, you know, the IP partnerships essentially implement mode three. The, the purchasing of the companies is, is, is another step, but, yeah. but it's not, um, it's not, it's not depend, you can be mode three without buying the companies. Yeah, you know, I, so, um, you know, think, think about, um, I'm going to take, take a counter example, which, you know, which is an IBM or an HP that for many years tried to be, and probably still, still aspire to be in, in IBM's case, kind of the, the supermarket, you know, the Costco. You know, come here and you can get everything. You can get technology from us, software, hardware, services. We'll give it to you all in, in, in one box. Um, I, I think what they've learned in some cases in the hard way, and also what I've, a lot of services companies learn is, there's no magic to just saying, you can get it all in one invoice, right? You can get it all from me. There's no real value to that. Because a customer always has the ability to go out and say, I'll pick this from you know, Oracle, I'll pick this from HCL. Why, what, what's the value to me of just buying A and B for, from the same company? And so I think it's incumbent on us you know, to be successful in this strategy that we have to find you know, smart and creative ways to deliver incremental value to customers. Because if not, it doesn't work. There's no point doing it. And so, you know, to your example of a, of a customer success, I'll, I'll point to just a couple of very simple ones that I think have been a, kind of a good validation you know, of this strategy. And that's actually in software testing. And it's, it's a huge part you know, of the services market, you know, whether it's HCL or whether it's any of our traditional competitors. Um, and oftentimes, because it is such a large market segment, um, it can really come down to just a price discussion. You know, how many testers can you give me at what price you know, per hour? Um, 
Well, we have the ability, and we've, we've started this you know, around a year, and we've got a handful of successes and customers that we've done this with. We can now go in with a combination of our own software tools, people that are trained on those tools, and the ability to bring in those tools fully integrated you know, into our commercial construct, and say, we can come in and we can do it better, cheaper, and faster, and simpler, because we have the ability to combine the tools and to combine the people. And because we're looking at it through the lens of an end-to-end -end solution, we can enable your people to use some of these tools. We can give you templates and other IP. We can give you best practices, and we can commit to better outcomes. And that's something, again, you might not look at as the grand platform solution that's going to change the world. Right. But that, it, it's a clear and differentiated value you know, that, we, that we can bring. So this is where you go beyond having the BS IP to having the real, real IP. IP. The idea is yeah. that... We're going to bring you a product. We're going to bring you people trained on the product. We're going to bring you processes to use the product. And then we'll adapt those into the, your working environment. And, uh, and so that over and over around a variety of products, then there's no reason you couldn't say, well, we have three of these stacks that we then can integrate together. Well, now we have meta stacks. And now we have two meta stacks we can integrate together. Absolutely. And in this way, you get this product-based platform that's, right. that's surrounded by a halo of of implemented processes right. and services, and then and and that is what you feel is, is people are going to pay for. Absolutely, and look, I, I think in a lot of these areas and around a lot of these software tools, as the tools mature a bit, you know, the way the customer's thinking about it is, I, I just want a solution, you know, solve it, make it work. I do need some people wrapped around this. I might need a, a broad set of, of different skills, people, hosting, cloud relationships, just solve it take this whole thing and just make it work to give me the outcome that I'm looking for. We see a lot of opportunities for that. But again, I think the, the key is that the devil's in the detail. If you try to over-engineer it at a, a big picture macro corporate level in a boardroom, you know, like where we're sitting, you usually get it wrong because you lose sight of are we really solving a problem for our customer? Are we really creating incremental value? And where that incremental value comes from is all in the details. It's in the details of how you assemble the people, the software, the commercial construct around it, the outcomes and SLAs that you're prepared to commit to. It's in those details. That's where the value comes. Well, and also, I think another way of recapturing, of, of explaining the value that we're talking about here is that what you're claiming ultimately is that the scope of the new enterprise product is changed. The scope of the new enterprise product is the technology underneath the processes that surround it, the services that do the integration. And just like at the uh, most advanced level in anything, that vertical stack is optimized by one company. The iPhone is built up from the hardware all the way up through the interface layer by one company that's optimizing at every level to get it right. Google, as much as they are a promoter of open source, I don't think a line of open source runs when you do a Google search because they've built the entire thing from the hardware all the way up to create an incredibly optimized experience. And so what you're saying is that the new enterprise software product isn't layers that are evolving independently. It's technology, processes, services that now are in one container delivering this outcome that you can buy and be confident in. And then how big those are, well, that's something you probably haven't worked out yet. How, how, whether there's meta services that integrate three or four of them, it's probably a little early to, to, talk, to talk into those. 
But at the end, you end up not just being a company that is playing at a layer, you end up being a company that's got a much more vertical orientation. And it seems to me that's what this is all about. Well, again, and I'd probably say it a little differently, which is, you know, you think about uh, what SaaS really means. And, you know, one of the common things we all hear in kind of our, our world is everybody just wants SaaS. The whole world is moving to SaaS. And, and I think it's important to sort of decompose what's really behind that. Because I think it's a lot less about, well, is it multi-tenant SaaS or is it single-tenant SaaS or is it on a hosted or what server is it running on? I think that's much less the drive towards SaaS. I think what it is is a response from customers saying, we're tired in many ways of doing business in the old way. We're tired of you know, those mega projects where we pay a whole bunch of vendors up front and then we bear the risk of whether it actually works. I think it's a lot of CIOs saying, I'd like to start small and grow. I'd like my vendor to be aligned to my success and I'll pay them and I'll pay them more as I am actually getting the value out of the product. And I, I don't necessarily want to think in terms of, well, I bought the product, now let me go do a big implementation, step one, step two. But it's going to be more of, a, of an iterative, agile kind of process and engagement where I want you to be bringing in people. I want you to be bringing in people that are consultants that can help me think about maximizing the value, help me integrate this in my environment, and people that have really deep skills in the product to help me be successful with it. So it's a blurring you know, of, of, of some different business models. But it's customers saying, I want that from the software vendors that I'm going to work with in the future. And on the other side, I think for you know, uh, you know, large customers of services companies, they're saying, don't just tell me about your billing rate. Don't just tell me about how many people you can throw at this. I want ideas and IP and not just kind of that lightweight little demo thing. I want more than that. And I expect you to be delivering more than that. And so, again, I, I would sort of summarize by saying, this is a big step for us. It is a big marker that fundamentally we are trying to create a very different kind of company. And it's in response to the, the large scale forces that we see happening on in our industry and really positioning ourselves for the future, you know, to be a, you know, a premier technology solution provider you know, for, our, for our clients. And I, think, and I think it comes back to the point you know, that we've maybe quibbled with, which, which I wouldn't say is semantics about the GSI market or being a global system integrator. What I think we're grappling to create where we're pointed and what we want to create. It's a very different kind of company. And I think the vision we have of that, you know, we're proud of, we think we're executing well against, we're not there yet, but we think it's a very different view of where we're gonna be five or 10 years from now from some of our traditional competitors in that space. Well, we, we put a lot of ideas on the table. And as you know, uh, we use these podcasts as a foundation for further articles and for further research. I think there's a lot of fun stuff to continue here. Darren, thank you so much for joining me today on this sunny, crisp, cold New York City day in December. And uh, I look forward to working with you more on a variety of different uh, ways of explaining all this. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you.